Hi, I'm Sunny Dean. And I'm Scott Drakeford. And this is the Publishing Radio Podcast. In 2022, we both launched debut novels in the same genre with the same publisher in the same year. But despite having very similar starts, our books and subsequently each of our careers went in very different directions. That pattern repeats itself throughout the industry over and over. Why do some books succeed while others seem to be dead on arrival? In this podcast, we aim to answer those questions and many more, along with how to build and maintain an author career. Everyone signing a contract deserves to know what they're really signing up for. In an industry that loves its secrets, we'll be sharing real details from real people. We'll cover the gamut of life as a big five published author, from agents to publishing contracts, finances, and more. Like, I think there's like a little plus sign on here. Maybe that'll. Oh yeah, wait, wait. I think that does something. Is that doing something? Oh my god, I'm like not sure if it's doing. Something. Oh, that's that's much much better. And <laughs> okay, I okay, yeah. My, I just put in my other ear. I am not diagnosed, I guess, but I am a a little bit deaf, at least according to my wife from my years working with heavy machinery. <laughs> uh, I think that might I, just be being a man, but anyway. <laughs> No, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to plead the fifth on that one, but I I legitimately did work uh in a heavy machinery lab for quite a few years and so sometimes it, it is hard to hear. But no, you're you're perfectly fine. Okay, great. Right. I I will start with a quick intro. Um welcome to the publishing rodeo where we say the quiet part out loud to borrow Scott's excellent summary. We have with us today Andrea Stewart, who wrote the hugely buzzy Boneshar Daughter, which if I remember correctly, debuted in September 2020 and is therefore one of the few books I know about that actually kind of took off despite the ravages of COVID and has continued to have a, a lively readership. And we're interested kind of in your journey and what it was like to publish in COVID and your thoughts on that, but also just to talk about the finances of writing what it's like to you know actually get these get advances live off them divide them up um and some other things that i'd written down you know income year by year taxes budgeting around royalties really Mm -hmm. practical stuff that you never hear about in crafts or 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 other sources yeah i'm i'm happy to get down with the nitty-gritty i like talked to my husband and um wrote down a bunch of notes about like how we handle this stuff <laughs> so yeah because he's like a little bit more definitely more nerdy about the like retirement aspect of, of things but yeah if we were going to talk about like my debut experience it was funny because I sold my book in 2019 late 2019 and I was so excited you know I was like oh my god I'm going to go and like travel and like do all these things and do all these events and then like you know literally just a couple months later we had COVID hit so (laughs) Um, especially because it was like a really long journey for me to get to that point like that was my seventh manuscript that I had written you know I queried a few before I got representation and then I had um, had to go out on submission and die on submission before the bone shard daughter so it was kind of like a long journey it was I think let me see it was I think it started I got representation in 2013 and then sold bone shard daughter in 2019 and then before that yeah so it, it had been 12 years in total so I queried for six years and then had book scout go out on submission for six years um, oh wow. that's brutal <laughs> yeah. That is yeah. dedication. 
for sure. So, well, I mean, like it was it was one of those things where like I was like at that point it was a little bit of a sunk cost thing, right? <laughs> where you're like, well, what else am I going to do with my life? <laughs> right? You hear that a lot. Yeah. Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not that I didn't have, like, a little bit of a crisis over that, because, yeah, I did, um, because I was like, oh, man, like, I went and got this job that, you know, I felt like, okay, well, I don't have to bring my work home <clears throat> so I can focus on my writing when I'm at home, and I could have, like, gone into a more intense field, but I didn't, you know, because I wanted to write. <laughs> so, so yeah, I was, I, I think after my second book um died on submission I like had like a little breakdown I like called my parents crying and like they're like oh don't cry like you know it's okay and I'm like no no I have to cry for a little bit like that's <laughs> that's part of the process right <laughs> yeah can I ask really quickly like how they felt about it because like I'm only half Chinese but basically I <laughs> I didn't tell my parents I was writing until after I got an agent and then I just mm. didn't mention it until I sold something because <laughs> they were not impressed at any point until it actually sold and then they were like oh oh we looked up your publisher on Wikipedia and it seems like it might be a good publisher so we're okay with this it's like well thanks for that <laughs> you know it was it was a struggle it was a big struggle um when I was oh. growing up like I mean they encouraged it like as a hobby you know right <laughs> yeah yeah but then it was like well like what are the things that you should actually like go to school for and you know my mom even like even when I was like in my 30s was like oh like you should be a lawyer you know and I'm like I'm not going back to school like I'm not doing it <laughs> you know <laughs> so yeah we had like a lot of I, I would say definitely like I fought with my mom about that kind of thing a lot it wasn't until like I started like selling stories and like making money at it right that my parents yeah. <laughs> became a little bit more encouraging and then also I think it helped that like I had a a job that you know I was supporting myself um yeah. not as prestigious as perhaps they wanted for me <laughs> but you know <laughs> yeah it's it's funny because like my uh both of my siblings are are like in tech right so I mean my, my sister is like a, a designer but she's also like working for YouTube and then my brother was in the tech industry for a long time so yeah so here I am over here like oh, I'm gonna write books I'm gonna write fantasy <laughs> books right <laughs> yeah so it was definitely it was definitely a struggle most particularly um, with my mom <laughs> but like you know too yeah. like I, I I understand now like being older and looking back it's like different when you're an immigrant and you're coming to this country and you're like well I want better opportunities for my kids like my my grandfather yeah, on my dad's side was was a coal miner right you know and then my dad was a lawyer so it's like well what am I going to be now right because it can only go up from there <laughs> yeah um yeah so you know looking back I think about that and like I'm like you know my parents just really wanted um, the best for me and yeah like we conflicted over what that meant but you know I, I know that they had my best interests at heart they just didn't want me to be in their words a starving artist which I got like yeah, that thrown same. at me a lot yeah. when I was an adolescent but I mean although like back then it was a huge point of conflict like I kind of understand a little bit more now that it was coming from a good place yeah same yeah <laughs> 
I think just my mother came from extreme poverty and, and my grandmother as well. So it, they're always looking out like for the future for your own kids and the next generation. And in fairness to them, <laughs> yeah. you know, if you're looking for not even wealth, but just financial security, publishing is not like a great place to find it, right? Like, the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we'll yeah. get into that. <laughs> yeah, even yeah, even in the in the success case, which yeah, we'll we'll get into, but. The odds are are not great, so I I definitely under, like I'm I'm sitting here sympathizing with your parents, like yep, yeah. you're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now, especially like I have my own yeah. kids, I'm like, yeah. How would I react if that's what they wanted to do? You know, it's like it's it's hard because you don't want to like you don't want to crush people's dreams, but at the same time, you want them to have like a realistic idea of like what life is like, right? In a capitalist society, yay! Yeah, <laughs> and at the at the very least, you know, yeah. a, a realistic view of uh, what it looks like to succeed financially in publishing is very important because understanding that you know the yeah. odds are stacked against you, and that there's very little financial security that changes the way, at least in my opinion, right? It, it changes the way I operate and have operated. Yeah, I mean, there's a very different view from the outside looking in as far as what life is like as an author I think part of it is you know you see these depictions in Hollywood where I'm like every time my husband and I sit down and we watch like a movie or a television show and there is some aspect of publishing in there I'm like these are the things I have to pause it I'm like these are the things that are wrong this is these are the things that would never happen and this is like extremely unrealistic you know they're like riding in limos and you know, being sent on um, fully cruises. paid tours or yeah, or cruises, right? There's that. I think there's that gif that people like to pass around on uh, Twitter <laughs> from what I think is Murder She Wrote, where she like gets like a cruise because she handed in her yeah. script early. I'm like, yeah, right, okay. Um, so yeah, I think that people on the outside looking in have a very unreal, unrealistic idea of like what it means to make a living as an author. I think they only see like a few examples and they kind of take that as the whole right like every single time yeah. I'm like oh like I, I'm getting a book published and they're like oh you're going to be the next JK Rowling which obviously now too is like extra terrible but <laughs> um, but yeah it's it's just that's what people think it's like but you know there are only a very 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 few people that actually reach that level yeah I think in the UK the average author income dropped from so it was about 12 grand a year in british pounds in 2007 it's currently about 7k a year that professional authors make in income off their writing it's very it's yeah. unlivable uh and you know even in the context like when we're talking about bigger advances the, the size of advance you have to get to actually make that livable across a period of years is so like you're talking in the top one or two percent basically of yeah. advances yeah no it's ridiculous like um for mine was in the realm of like the where they say the significant advance yeah. right it's like 250 and up so mine was I think like uh similar to yours son you were yeah. was like 300,000 for I mean with the exchange rates at the time like about 300,000 USD for three books so it's like about 100k each mm. and like that is unusual like you don't generally see that so yeah <laughs> and, and that's like if you, you know, look at, at taxes and everything, I mean, that's not, I'm not making a tech salary, right? That's like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, 
for me, it's like, it's like, great. It's wonderful. And yes, like I can live off of it and I can live off of it well, but the vast majority of people are having, like, they're getting lower, much yeah. lower deals. Like, um, the most common I think is in the, the nice deal range or very nice. I, you know, I'm like trying to remember what are those publishers marketplace? Think, like, yeah, I think Courtney mom says that you generally, I think for our genre, it's like seven to 25 K per book is probably mm-hmm. a ballpark. And that's big five. It's less. Yeah. If you're yeah, outside it, big five. Right. And it, you, you split that out over, you know, a period of time just due to the way that contract payments are, are paid out. And then you look at like taxes and everything. Like I, I did like yeah. a, a little video on like TikTok where I broke out like, okay, well, 100K sounds like a lot, <laughs> but like this is what it would break out like year by year if you're doing this for three books. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, maybe 30, 33K a year about, and it's, that's not yeah. a lot to live on in the U.S. Yeah, it's like so. half of medium, yeah, medium yeah. income, right? So when I took that 300K, by the, when you remove about 45% for taxes and agent fees, and do the conversion to British pounds, it worked out about at 120k British pounds across uh, four years, which is about 30k a year for me. For me, that's very livable. It was a lot better than what I was doing. And we have free healthcare. Mm -hmm. And you know, not to sneeze it, not to say that I'm ungrateful, and I'm not, but it's like this, you you need to know what you are living off, if that money is given to you. And like, factually, this is just how it breaks down. That's what it is. I'm glad to have it. But the fact that it's like, you have to be in the top, two or three percent to even be in livable category is is uh wow (laughs) yeah it's wild I I don't know that there's a lot of other industries that work like that you know where you have to be in the top two to three percent of your industry in order to actually like live have a middle class life (laughs) off of (laughs) off of your salary so yeah I mean it's it's a little bit wild when you think about that I mean, if I if I hadn't been married to somebody who you know makes more money than me and also, you know, has health care that I can get, like I, I would have probably moved back to Canada <laughs> and like just tried to make it work like that because at least like I could have gotten health care there because health care in the U.S. is is very expensive um, if you don't have an employer who's paying for like a decent health care plan, yeah. And even like the decent healthcare plans here are like, anyways, we're not, I'm not going to get into that, but it's, it's, it's not great here. It's not great. It is not great. There's a weird thing as well with the bigger advances where it's like, if you want to make it into a full-time career at that point, you then have to put a huge amount of energy into it, if that makes sense. It's like a vicious cycle. I had this discussion with another author, I think in 2020, because she had also gotten a big advance and we basically came to the conclusion like... When you get a big advance, that's your best chance to build a like to to build a sustainable income out the gate, and you really need to put a lot of effort into that to keep that momentum going, to get keep the books out at a good rate, to do the events, to do all the the stuff that's required of you. So you have to like you feel this pressure to try basically and make it full time, and if you don't, then you run the risk that it doesn't work, and you've blown like your best chance to. <laughs> If that makes sense. It makes complete sense. I think before before I started getting offers on Bone Shard Daughter, like I knew pretty early on that something was gonna happen with it because we were getting a lot of interest. So I sat down with my husband and we talked about like what is our threshold for like when I would quit my job. Like we just went over our finances and everything. And I would recommend like everyone who has um, a book going out like to kind of sit down and do that as like a mental exercise. Like just figure out like mm-hmm. what 
what is the number for you that you can quit and go full time? Um, for us, it was like, okay, well, if I hit that threshold of six figures, then um, I can quit my job um, and try to make that work. And and like I said, I, I am I'm very privileged in the sense that I am married to somebody that you know can uh, support us if if something goes wrong. Um, especially like you know I have kids so if I was like trying to do this on my own or if if he didn't make as much money and we had the two kids it's like I don't know that it would be realistic to try to you know quit my job at that amount but yeah so I think that it's it's a good thought exercise to go through to figure out like what you need to live off of and what makes sense for you to quit your job at what amount? It, it was it was wonderful that it came through like more <laughs> than what I expected. So I, I think that I got really lucky because I mean, in, in a lot of sense, because because I think where people really got hit hard was in that like spring, early summer debut period where everyone was scrambling. Like nobody knew what the heck was going on with the pandemic. Like people were wearing cloth masks. We didn't know that like, oh, hey, like N95s are better. Like everybody was just kind of panicking a little bit. You know, nobody was thinking about books, right? Because everybody was thinking about like, how do I stop myself from getting this? And I think we were all kind of focused on that. So I think that the debuts that hit like March, April, May, like those kind of that time period was really really bad like I feel like that put you at a serious disadvantage no matter how much money your publisher had put into it the attention was just not there like all the air was gone from the room right by the time that September rolled around I feel like we had kind of reached a little bit more of an equilibrium like everyone had kind of dug in and understood hey this is like a long longer term thing I don't think it I mean I I personally at that point didn't think that it was going to be this long term but at least like I think people had kind of settled into the idea and had started to look at like well what am I going to do during this time people were you know doing the (laughs) bread baking and like I think we're starting to read books again there were those statistics that showed that you know publisher sales went up during the pandemic so you know I think that I fortunately hit right in like that time where we were past the panicking phase so yeah yeah no that's really good (laughs) Uh, and I hope this doesn't come across wrong to any listeners but I guess something that I think about a lot in terms of finances is that a lot of writers do rely on a spouse one way or another and I think when you I think looking to the future and planning your finances is a really good idea I did some of that before I went on sub it's like because there was a bracket of money where it's like this just replaces the the social security that I'm on and and wouldn't help me and then there's a bracket of money where it was helpful and and I think it's worth looking at finances in terms of what happens if your partner dies or you separate Uh, because basically without getting it into it too much because I always find the story really embarrassing when in about 2012 when I was moving between work visas something went very wrong at the immigration office here and I basically became an illegal alien for four years, and after that was eventually sorted out. Well, it's embarrassing because it's how this country feels about immigrants, and you know, there's no like legal support for it. Anyway, at the end of that time, my son had been born, and it became increasingly apparent that he had needs which were additional. I ended up becoming his care, and fast forward to you know 2020 when I was separating from my partner, and I'd been out of work nine years. I had no bank account in my name because of immigration issues that dragged on so long. I had no like bills or details on my name and all this stuff. So 
I guess what I'm trying to say is, if you ever find yourself in a position where you need to leave your relationship, but you can't because you are financially dependent on your partner, that is a really shitty place to be. It sucks. <laughs> um, and likewise, I would hate for anyone to find themselves in a situation where their writing career is in jeopardy because the person they're relying on is either no longer able to support them, no longer able to work, or that relationship is not panning out. I'm not going to say don't do it, because sometimes that's the only way you can have a writing career, is to, to allow someone else to support you and contribute to that in the early years. Uh, and also some people are going to do it anyway, because it's, it's better than not having that chance. But do it with your eyes open. I guess would be my advice there and you know be aware that it is a risk if possible have some kind of backup plan have some kind of fallout plan spend some time thinking about what your life would look like if that financial support was removed uh, because it happens more often than you think uh, and as much as you can protect yourself and your future I think it's a good idea to do that for me I never want to be financially dependent on someone else again but that's my choice and that's a different choice for every person a lot of people do rely on a partner for part of that time, and it works really well. So, you know, Scott seems happy. Blink twice if you're in stress, Scott. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, so I'm, I'm definitely in that category, right? Uh, there are a few things I'd like to say. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I, I'm definitely in that category where, uh, you know, I, I left my job, my career for more personal reasons than because I thought publishing was going to be a reliable income, right? I only got 30 grand for three books um, and I'm not a fast writer. So there were some personal things in there. I just burned out on, on what I was doing and it was a really good opportunity to, uh, with my wife moving to a new, even better job uh, in Boston, uh, a whole bunch of things came together. And I thought I was going to take six months off and then get back into, you know, a real job. So I guess where I'm going with that is, well, you know, I, I stayed doing what I'm doing mostly because of COVID and our choices to uh, continue to avoid it. And, and we're still homeschooling and doing all those kinds of things. I'm still homeschooling. But I think the broader point is that publishing as an industry treats us, in my opinion, like gig workers, right? And I, I've said this a lot in private and maybe before on yeah. the pod, but even when you get a good deal, you know, like you two did or, or even a, you know, a better deal, whether it's debut or not, there's still no job security beyond whatever you've got a contract for, right? And, you know, there's some security yeah. in, in your brand and whatever, but you, <laughs> it, there are no guarantees in publishing and the opportunity cost of leaving whatever other things you could be doing with your skills, talents, time. Publishing can be a big trap, right? And there are very few for whom it is not an opportunity cost trap. And you have to go into it understanding that for sure. You have to understand that you're giving up yeah. whatever else you could be doing and you're going into a world of instability and probably not that much money. Yeah, I mean, I feel like if I were to try to return to the workforce, it would be a lot more difficult at this point. Been out for like yeah, three years. Me too. So. Yep, me too. Yeah. I, and I, yeah. And right, <laughs> right now is 
probably the worst time in at least 10 years to look for a job. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, th there is some stress that comes with that, right? Like, I'm super happy uh, doing what I'm doing and with my wife and I's situation, you know, thank God she's she makes a tech salary uh, and everything's good yeah. there. But like, you know, the, there always is that uncertainty of, you know, if something happened, I know I would be fucked. Like I, I would be scrambling to find something, you know, and my life would beyond the obvious tragedy. My life would change very significantly. Yeah, I I talk to my husband about that kind of thing a lot too. I'm like, oh my god, like you know, publishing's just such a fickle industry. Like, what happens if you know my career just crashes? Like, what am I gonna do? Like, what am I gonna do? And he's like, well, you know, you just keep writing. And I'm like, well, yeah, but <laughs> like I'd have to find something else to do too, because otherwise, I feel like that would be not very fulfilling to be continuing to do something oh and that be the only thing that I'm doing and I'm extremely unsuccessful at yep. it you know what I'm saying like it's like it's yeah. you have to have like something else going on too so you can at least have yeah. a little I yeah I, a little something to make yep. you feel better there's actually very little guidance like there's, so there's there's not that much guidance about like middle list and stuff but there's some on there and I found it sometimes on the internet but there is nothing for what happens if you if you get an amount of money where you need to actually start managing it. And I actually reached out to people after I got my deal, like I was reaching out to people around podcasts and industry experts. It's like, what do I do? How do I know that this is going to succeed or fail? And almost every single one of them, the ones that bothered to reply, just said, oh, you don't have to do anything. Um, books that size don't fail, which is untrue. Career careers can go off track at any point. So uh, unless you've got a further question, Scott, I, I was going to kind of spring from that actually into into some of the, the things that you've taken notes for, Andrea. I don't actually know exactly what they are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just took notes on like what we do to kind of mitigate some of the, the tax stuff. Like, you know, part of the thing that I think like people don't talk about or think about is that when you're working as an author, you are an independent contractor, so you are self-employed. Mm -hmm. So that means that you are paying payroll taxes on the employee and the employer side so you're paying for both of those which feels like a little bit honestly like unfair yeah. especially because it's not like you're getting a ton of like benefits or anything from being an independent contractor or working as an author um so yeah there's there is that that you kind of get like double taxed on that um <clears throat> so one of the things that uh, I did after that was like, I mean, after I, I was getting my pretty big book deal was talking to a CPA and figuring out like, mm. well, like what's the best way that I can handle this? So for me, because of my situation where, you know, my husband has like the healthcare and he's making a decent amount of money. So we don't like need as much of the income that I'm making. So we set, ended up setting up an S corp, which is something in the U S I know like it, it's, this is country dependent, <laughs> but part of the benefit of that is that you can s pay yourself a salary from your corporation. So you're, you're going to be paying payroll taxes from the corporation side, but since the salary that you're paying is less than that full amount that you're getting, getting from the publisher, 
then you're only paying tax, uh, payroll taxes on that amount. So for me personally, what I ended up doing is paying myself about uh, $30,000 a year as a salary. It does have to be a reasonable salary. You can't like pay yourself a dollar because the IRS is going to be like, that doesn't seem like the kind of salary that anybody should be making. <laughs> But $30,000 is like a pretty reasonable salary for um, for a writer. So I did, so I'm paying payroll taxes on the corporation side and then just um, payroll taxes on, for 30,000 on my side. So payroll taxes is Medicare, Social Security, and unemployment. And like I said, that's split between the employee and the employer. So I do pay less payroll tax and then excess money that I have I can bonus it to myself and that I don't pay payroll tax on. So that is like a little bit of an advantage. Um, it It is one of those things though where you have to kind of sit down and figure out if it financially makes sense for you depending on like how much money approximately a year that you're getting because there are setup costs for that. It's like several thousand dollars to set up an S-Corp. Mind you, you do only pay that once. However, in our case, you know, we don't do our own taxes at this point. We do pay somebody to do our taxes and um, they do the taxes, like our personal taxes and also our taxes for the corporation. And that ends up being like a couple thousand dollars a year. So you really have to kind of sit down and make sure that that makes sense. Obviously, if like you are like getting um, a significant amount of money, I would recommend like talking to a CPA and, and figuring out like what makes sense for you because, you know, what I'm saying is what makes sense for me, but that doesn't necessarily like make sense for everyone, e- even if that is the amount that you're making. Another thing that we do is uh, we max out the 401k. So that's like the tax advantaged retirement account. So in the U.S. right now, the limit is um, 22500 I think, for that. So I just maxed that out. So <laughs> I put like a bunch of money into there. And I can do an employer match, too, since I have the S-corp, S-corp since I have that corporation set up. So I can do a match from um, my S-corp. And I don't know the exact percentage for that. Um, that we talked it over with the accountant and they told us an amount to do and I'm like, okay, cool, like that's your that's your job. I, I don't I don't know exactly like how to deal with all the taxes stuff. But the benefit of the uh, tax advantaged retirement account is you don't pay taxes on it when it goes into the account. You do have to pay taxes on it eventually. Uh, but the benefit is that that account is going to continue to grow and when you retire, presumably you're going to be in a lower tax bracket. So when you pull money out, it's going to be taxed as ordinary income, but you're probably going to be pulling out less money than you were making during your working years because during your working years, presumably you were setting some aside to uh, save for retirement so you weren't living off that full amount. So does that make sense? No, <laughs> like, no, it did. I was, I was going to okay. ask you to Americans if... Um, if, if an S-Corp is the same thing as a limited company or if, or if you know that, I was just no, curious. No, it's different. So there's a limited liability okay. company, which I know that some, or yeah, which I know some people have set up. I don't know the advantages of that, but I know specifically when we talked to our CPA, he recommended doing an S-Corp for my situation, especially because mostly, we live mostly off of 
my husband's income. Mm. So that allowed us to really, you know, max out that 401k. Yeah. So I, well, I went the other way. Um, As soon as I had that money come in, I went and had to, I had to find a tax specialist who does UK and US tax Mm -hmm. because I have dual citizenship and God bless America. It is one of the few countries where you pay tax based on citizenship, not location. So I went and found a our equivalent of a CPA because if I didn't do that, I would be paying like 30% tax in the States, 30% tax here, an agent fee. I would lose 75% of every check, which is not worth the time <laughs> to write. Uh, yeah, and we set, up, we set up a limited company, I think, because that basically allowed me to file for exemptions and I blow 800 pounds, sorry, 1800 quid every year telling the US government that I shouldn't have to pay tax twice. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I do live off, you know, because there's no other income coming in. So I think maybe that's also why I'm on, on an LLC, because um, here I pay myself just under, like, the taxable limit, which is like 11k a year. And then you claim, like, dividends as a shareholder of the company. It's, it sounds so mm-hmm. dodgy, but I don't know. I know, I know. It's tax guy said to do. It's weird, right? I mean... Uh... I'm like setting up a corporation where I'm paying myself a salary. It's it's a little bit strange, yeah. Oh, and then we do also have like a defined benefit pension plan. So that any like other extra money that I have left over, I can put into that. So, so yeah, so then it like, you know, usually like wipes out most of the profit that I would have incurred. It's like a little bit weird, but I think that it's definitely better than what it would have been otherwise, which is like paying so much just because you are both sides of that the employee and the employer yeah because i know like it's like right about the time and i see all the complaints from my friends about the payroll taxes where you're paying both sides and it's yeah and like i said it's not going to work for everybody just depending on like where your income falls but um but yeah, it definitely makes it a little bit less painful for me. Yeah, I tried to do my US taxes myself one year and it had me almost in tears. So that now I do have my accountant do that as well. Because especially when you start getting like foreign royalties and you get like a check here and a check there. And there's just like a million things that you, you're trying to keep track of. And they want 15 details for everything. And it's an, uh, I know, first world problem. Um, so. but No, it's, I mean, we, we pay somebody to do our taxes every year and... Um, mm-hmm. my husband still t- had to take two days off of work to like go through yes. and gather everything <laughs> yes. to give to the yeah. accountant to do the taxes. It's just, yeah, I mean, this is like one of the things where I'm like, oh, that would be great if like ChatGPT could just do that. Yeah, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah it's writing novels instead. Great. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> like, let's, let's forget like it taking over the creative field. It's like, let, make it do the stuff that we don't yeah, want to do. It, it will. So I, I, uh, well, for the record, I don't, <laughs> haven't made enough money with writing to bother with an LLC or S Corp. And I just looked it up because I, I'm familiar with each entity type, but I didn't know the exact difference between the LLC and the S Corp. And it looks like the the big difference, at least in terms of what we're talking about, is that LLCs pay FICA and uh, so payroll taxes on income tax and distributions. So Andrea talked about bonuses. Um, you could also I would assume issue dividends or uh, whatever you wanted that to look like. Yeah. Uh, and in an S corp, those distributions, so bonuses, dividends, whatever, 
are only subject to income tax and not the payroll taxes. So that makes a lot of sense and that's potentially a way to get out of, uh, I don't know actually what payroll taxes look like right now, but if I remember they were in the ballpark of like five to 7%, right? Yeah, my husband said he thinks it's about six and a half percent, but I didn't have yeah, the time that sounds to right. look. Yeah, six and a half percent have, for yeah, each side. That's yeah, we didn't have six and a half percent. Oh, sorry, we don't have a payroll tax. We have something here called national health, uh, sorry, national insurance, but I think it's very similar. It's you're paying into the healthcare system and your pension and essentially unemployment benefit if you need it. Yep. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, this is not legal or f- financial advice. Yeah, please don't. <laughs> Consult your lawyer and or CPA. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just to give people a sense of the things to think about, really, because I, I can't even tell you exactly what I do with my accountant. It, it's a lot of me flailing down the phone almost in semi-tears while he just tells me calmly <laughs> what to do and that everything yeah. will be fine. I really hate money. I really hate numbers. Sorry. So I find that whole st- all that yeah. stuff stressful. I personally don't budget around royalties at all because I don't expect or plan around getting them. If I get them, it's an amazing surprise, but otherwise they're so unpredictable. I don't know if you do the same, Andrea, but I just budget around I, advances. Yeah, I don't. I don't. When I get when I get royalties, it's like a pleasant surprise. Um, yeah. I just started getting royalties from my French contract, and I was like, mm. what? Oh, that's like extra money I was not expecting, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I usually just go off of my contracts. Um, it looks like I will probably start to get royalties pretty soon, which, again, I'm like, that's that's just an exciting bonus, really. But you can't expect that you're going to earn out. I think they say the majority of contracts do not earn out. So Yeah. And that's yeah. a good thing, although we, I, I'm not sure we'll get into that yet, but that's that's generally a good thing. And it's funny because I, I have discussions with indie authors sometimes where they'll say stuff like, oh, but the royalty rates are so low in trad. And it's like, I don't care. I don't, I'm not in this for the royalties. I'm in it for the advance. <laughs> because right. You're in it for the big chunk of money, right? <laughs> yeah, the chunk of money that comes up front yeah. and is guaranteed. And the, right, and it's like mostly predictable. I, I know that, you know, some things can come up where <laughs> it yeah. gets delayed. So I don't know like what it's like for everybody else. Mine is split into, gosh, I don't remember how many payments. I've got three three books. So there was like a payment on signing and there's like a, I think it's about like a third. I can't remember. And then like everything else was split up between payment on delivery payment on um, hardback publication and then payment on paperback publication. Andrea, do you mind if I I go back to your debut experience? And I've asked basically everybody uh, who's been on this, uh, at least everybody who's debuted semi-recently. What I mean, you, you already said that, you know, you went a little later in 2020, so maybe you didn't get the full brunt of the, the COVID panic and everything. But did you notice anything that seemed to work beyond just writing an excellent book? Because it, it seems like you had a whole lot of interest up front and, and uh, you know, people obviously love your book. But did you see anything either on Orbit's side or your side that you did that led to success or at least potentially contributed to it? Oh, gosh, I don't think I, I did anything, frankly. <laughs> I mean, for me, it's, it's, it's so hard to know, right? Because you do these things and you don't really have the data to say well this is what contributed right all we have are like reading the tea leaves which is not very helpful you can't go and ask everybody well why did you buy my book (laughs) i think (laughs) yeah gosh like 
I think when the paperback came out and then they had that featured at Barnes and Noble as like one of their speculative was a speculative fiction pick where they have it in the front of the store. That was hugely helpful. Obviously, I had nothing to do with that. I think the Orbit put like a really good marketing push behind my book. And then as far as what I did, like for me, like, you know, I had been wanting this for so long. So I basically just said yes to everything (laughs) like everything that somebody came by and said will you do this interview Mm. like will you do this write-up will you do this I just said yes to everything I don't know if I would recommend that I I'm I'm like one of those people who I just like am perpetually like energetic and like excited about things so (laughs) so for me I'm like yeah 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 like cool like this is great I don't like talking about my book now I'm like a little, I have pulled back a little bit on that just because I feel my time is yeah. so limited. I had two children during the pandemic, so not something I would recommend. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, so, you know, that is obviously like uh, a little bit more time consuming and, and makes me have like a little bit less energy. Sure. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think, I, I mean, I think that it's important to to do what you can just so that you don't look back later and think like, well, what if I'd done this differently? So you have fewer regrets. I think that's like the main reason because whether or not it moves the needle, I think is highly up to debate. I do feel like getting it out there as much as possible so that people keep seeing that title and seeing my name. I think that that's helpful because I know there's that whole thing too where people have to see something so many times before they'll actually look yeah, look into it or sure. buy it. So that's what I was thinking about when I was just like, I will say yes to everything, like no matter how small your audience, right? But yeah, so I think it's like whether whether that made a difference, I don't know. I'm absolutely positive that the marketing, that Orbit did made a difference. Yeah, I think the personal connection can help. I think that when I was sending ARCs out to people, you know, reaching out to them on social media, sending them, posting them, even if they hate the book, they're less likely to get online and be like, oh, she's a horrible, like, <laughs> evil person, right? They're just, they're just going to, like, bury the book and be like, ooh, well, the author is nice, but mm, not my thing, right? And that's, like, that's still a better response. Yeah. So it helped for me in that sense, I think. It'd be a nice person. There's that, right? That's yeah. Don't don't misbehave online. Like don't be a jerk, right? Yes, I think that was my whole goal for debut years to not set myself on fire on social media, which seems to happen (laughs) to a lot of people. It does, you know. And some of it, it's like I have I have so much sympathy um, for some of it, just because I feel like you know we're all human, we're all fallible. But you make a mistake online, and it's like. You know, there's the whole thing, too, where if you apologize online, it, like, only makes things worse. Yeah. <laughs> so it's terrible. It's Yeah, it's absolutely wretched. <laughs> I, I do have to say, I did I did get a blurb from Sarah J. Moss, which uh-huh. I think was very helpful because I did have people specifically say they picked it up because of that. That was just, like, a stroke of good luck on my part. I had known her from, like, way back when and, like, when she was on Fiction Press, and I'd done some fan mm-hmm. art for her. So, um, so I just reached out and was like, I know you're super, super, super busy, but you know, like, you know, we talked about how I was trying to get a book published and it happened. So if you have time, you know, um, yeah, so it was, it was very kind of her to, um, to actually like find the time and, and do that. Cause I know she's got like, you know, she had a, a young, young kid at that point and obviously, you know, her schedule is very packed. So I think that was helpful. 
Um, but again, I mean, I think that goes back to like, well, don't be a jerk online. Yeah. Like, and you know, you'll, yes. you'll make, yeah. you know, you'll make friends and like, you don't, you don't know where people are going to end up. Yeah. So yeah, get involved you know, and be a good don't person. Just be, yeah. I think that people can tell if you're obviously like angling for, for a connection. Um, right. And it's very transparent. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think like, I also know some people tend, tend to think of these things as a hierarchy where it's like, well you don't have an agent yet or you don't have a book deal like you know and it's like to me I'm like it's not about that like everybody starts somewhere and Mm -hmm. you don't know where people are going to end up and just like just be kind like I I you know I don't I don't hold grudges but I do remember the people that you know (laughs) that that um behaved poorly toward me for (laughs) I actually got a book deal you know it's like Some, some people can be quite rude and I, I don't think that that's like just don't don't do that just don't do that so I guess I would kind of start to close out by asking if, if you have any kind of top tips or tricks for writers who are starting to dip their toes into contracts and advances and, and to look at managing their finances uh, or any other things you want to suggest about your writing journey in general that you think would be good for yeah, people for to sure. know <laughs> oh gosh I think like definitely have a group of people that you can talk to like on a discord or something. I've had these conversations where, you know, my friends and I see something that like somebody has put on Twitter and we're like, oh God, like they should have like just talked to their like little writers group before they decided to go blasting that everywhere. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Because I think like first off, like publishing is a tough industry and it's good to have people to commiserate with and also to compare notes to and second off like they'll you know be the ones that are like holding you back from getting into the bar fight so (laughs) our discord just egged us all and they were like make that podcast guys oh yeah well i mean yeah i think that in this case that's like a good idea because i i do think like especially in publishing like so much of it is opaque like i'm always happy to talk numbers with people because i feel like um, especially, I don't know how it is in the UK culturally, but in the US, everybody's encouraged like not to talk about their salaries or not to talk about how much money they make. Yeah. It's considered yeah. uncouth, right? But that really, I'm like, who started that rumor, right? Because that really only benefits the employer because then they can keep, you know, whatever <laughs> differences quiet and just pay the people what what they think that they'll take rather than what they think that they're worth, you know? Yeah. So I think that it's really important to talk about this stuff and to be open about it. But yeah, like if anyone like sees me at a convention or wants to talk about this stuff, I'm, I'm happy to sit down and talk about it. Um, again, I just want to give the caveat that I've been very, very lucky and I'm very privileged. Like I, it's not this way for like most writers. So <laughs> yeah, I've just been very fortunate. Um, yeah, I guess that's like, that's no, <laughs> like fine. winding down here. <laughs> no, it's right. It's, it's like, I guess it's nice, I suppose, when, when we, uh, oh, I'm going to restart that. Um, I, I appreciate and other people acknowledge privilege and I try to acknowledge my own because it, I think the alternative is you start to believe your own hype, which is the one yes. thing you can't afford to do in this industry. Hype is for buzz and reviewers. It's, it's not for the author. <laughs> You've got to stay grounded. Right. There's definitely a survivorship bias. Like, I don't want to say like, well, yes. you all should go out and do this because this is what worked for me. Um, because that's not the way that it is for everybody. We all have different circumstances. Yeah. Oh, totally. 
I used to turn off podcasts that like, oh, to get an agent, you must go to conferences. Like, nope, can't do that. I'm done with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There is no definitive right way, which is like, it's good to know. It's unfortunate in some ways, but it's also fortunate. It's also good in some ways. So, yeah. Really um, just thank you for being willing to, to share everything you did, because as you said, uh, this is a very opaque industry and it really only benefits uh everybody but us <laughs> benefits the big corporations yeah it does and and i mean this is the part of every episode where we say we love the individuals at uh our publishers and and that we've worked with but as companies uh they really are extremely old-fashioned and in the worst ways right in terms of their perceived responsibility to provide for the people that they work with, right? They don't see us, and we're not, right? But they don't see us as employees in any way, shape, or form. And even if they are our best friends, I mean, there are some real huge uh, risks associated with getting into this business. And it's not as glamorous as it looks, even when you are a you know a, a legitimate success i also wanted <laughs> i also wanted to mention though that beyond looking at the negative side and i do appreciate you know your your uh feelings of of having been lucky and being privileged etc i mean i do just want to say that both of you have done a fantastic job both on the writing side and the business side of being and becoming authors i mean Andrea, right? You said you wrote seven books before you got published. You were agented for six years and died on sub several times. Like, that's a level of dedication that not a lot of people have, right? And I know Sun Yi, you said that you had at least one book die on sub, and you've been you had been right. You've written at least four books, I think, before Book Eaters. No, three books. Uh, not that two or three. I can't. But to be like, if I if if I'd had to. Speak go through seven books like Andrea I think I would have given up long ago so yeah. <laughs> you get yeah. kudos from me <laughs> yeah yeah I mean I it, I almost feel like it was to my detriment to get my first book published especially before I had time to learn what the lay of the land looked like in terms of the business of publishing so yeah I mean kudos to both of you because I think the the opposite side of that survivorship bias is you being willing to to write down what it actually took you uh, and took to get you to where you are. So congrats yeah, I mean, and thank you so much for sharing. <laughs> yeah, I do have to say on the positive side, it's like the best job in the world. I have like, flexibility and I can determine what my schedule is, like if I have to go and yeah. if I wanna go and like spend some time with my kids, I can like go and do that and leave. Yep early leave work early you know it's it's yeah it is it is on the po positive side like the best job in the world it really is yeah absolutely I yeah agree. totally agree <laughs> you've been listening to the publishing radio podcast with sunny dean and scott drakeford tune in next time for more in-depth discussion on everything publishing industry see you later